in a different book of the Bible, the very last book, in Revelation chapter 1, John records a dramatic picture that he had of the risen Lord. He hears a voice louder than a chorus of trumpets, and then he turned, and the text says, to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. His hairs, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is a vision of the risen Lord. And this risen Lord, our Jesus, is in the middle of golden lampstands. Now that might be a kind of a confusing image, but of all the images that the Bible uses to describe the church, the lampstand might be the most unique. It's golden here, of great value, but the lampstand has a specific correlation to the purpose of our church and every faithful church on the planet. What does a lampstand do? It holds up a light. It puts light high so you can see by it. The church at, at large, and ours in specific, is a lampstand meant to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ from us in all that we do. We are made to shine. We are commissioned to shine. We are commanded to shine. We are called as a people to shine forth the love of God, the love expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our call, and we will see this this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-6, through 6, Our call this morning is to shine. Our call this morning is to shine forth, to shine bright the love of God to everybody we come in contact with. We've entitled this journey through 1 Timothy as this, Life Together, Instructions on Being the Church. That's why. The reason is because that's what this book is about. And today, the main idea is this. We, Center Church, are called to shine bright the love of God. I'll show you where I got that from as I read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-6. through 6. So if you have a Bible, follow along as I read. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for the kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and what we need today is not information. We need transformation. We need your word to do its work in our hearts and in our lives. We need you to grab our attention. We're content to go through our daily lives expecting that 
not much will change and that we can just go from one day to the next to the next to the next. Lord, I pray that you would grab our attention this morning and help us to remember that we are commissioned and called and commanded to shine. And I pray that we would shine your light forth. I pray even as, a, as we walk through this text, Lord, you would put upon our minds and our hearts those people in our lives that do not know you, that need to have an experience with the risen Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would have testimonies that we get to hear as a church from people who were once lost and are found because of the light shining forth from this, this church and our people, Lord. This we pray, this we ask, and this we ask and pray in confidence because we know, Holy Spirit, you delight to do your work paired with the Word of God, and I pray that you would do work in us this morning. Not just information, but transformation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So how do we shine? How do we shine? How do we shine forth the love of God? How do we shine forth the love of God? Three ways in our passage. Pray, personify, and point. Pray, personify, and point. First, pray for all. First thing Paul says is pray. This is, there are worse things we could do with our time and energy. Um, he says, first of all, pray. Not after strategy, not after planning, not after drawing a schematic, not after talking, but pray first. And so what Paul does is he shows us that we're to pray in all kinds of different ways, in all kinds of different circumstances, by using four overlapping words that describe prayer. Look at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, there's one kind of prayer, you know, asking requests. Prayers, that's the general category. Intercessions, long-term um, inter- intercession for people and situations. And thanksgiving be made for all people. So notice that what he's telling us to do is literally pray in all kinds of ways for all the kind of people that we find in our lives. This kind of prayer is a prayer that we as a church are called to pray. Together, scattered, individually, and um, as as a church. Now, why are we called to pray for these people who are in our lives? These people who are, Paul calls as all people. Who, why are we called to pray for them? Verse 3 Here's why. It's, this is good, which is whenever God says something's good, that's good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, which, again, that's another good thing. But here's the reason, here's the crux of why we're called to pray for all people. Why? Verse 4, who desires, this is God, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We are, quite simply, one of the ways we shine is by praying that the people in our lives and in our community get saved. Come to, what Paul says, a knowledge of the truth. We are urged to pray for people everywhere in every kind of prayer so that the people in our lives and the people in our community, the people we know and the people that, are, that we're connected to, that they might come to a knowledge of this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This tool is... is the most significant thing we have when it comes to evangelism. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be Bible answer man or woman. You don't have to be an expert in Hebrew or Greek. You don't have to know anything about the ancient Near East. What you need to do is have a heart to pray. The way we shine is by praying for all. Notice, all to come to the knowledge of the gospel. 
Do you want to see the quiet, reserved man in the cubicle next to you get saved? Pray. Do you want to see the day that your wandering son comes home and comes to the Lord? Pray. Do you want to see the day when your atheist brother meets Jesus? Pray. Do you want your friendly barista to trust Jesus? Pray. Do you want your neighbor who keeps his yard perfect to know the gospel? Pray. Do you want your confused daughter to experience forgiveness? Pray. Do you want your cantankerous, stuck-in-her-ways mother to meet God, her Savior? Pray. Prayer seems futile, but it's not. Prayer seems like it does nothing, but that's only the way it seems. The reason it seems futile is because we can't see the effects immediately. The reason prayer seems fruitless is because most of us have never prayed and seen a miracle happen just like that. But don't fall into the trap of thinking that praying for an unsaved friend, relative, co-worker, or any person that you know is useless. It's not. In fact, it's the most powerful thing you can do for them. Mary, Queen of Scots, who was not a Christian, nevertheless understood the power of prayer when she said in the 1500s, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. That's the way the evil one feels about our prayers, right there. He fears the prayers of Center Church and every other faithful church more, more than the, all the armies of angels of heaven. So the evil one, what he wants us to do is get distracted, sidetracked, diverted. He wants us to pull out our phones. He wants us to think about lunch. He wants us to review our to-do list. The evil one knows that if we pray, he can't hold back the mighty hand of the Lord. When his people pray, the Lord responds. Satan can't jam our signals. He can't make God deaf. He can't distract God or sidetrack God. He can't tell God to pull out his phone. All he can do when we pray is to wring his hands and watch. In 1857, a revival began in New York City. It's called the Businessmen's Revival. If you know history, and you know, you know this. A man named Lamphere, Jeremiah Lamphere, decided, I want, it was on the heels of like a, a depression, more like a recession at the time, and he, the people were sad, they were downtrodden, they were sorrowful in New York City. And so he said, I'm going to get an idea. I'm going to have businessmen come together on their lunch hour and pray. And here's an account of what happened. Lamphere hardly produced eye-opening results, but he had an inspired idea. He would invite businessmen to a lunch hour prayer meeting, yet the idea seemed anything but inspired when no one arrived for the first half hour on September 23rd, 1857. Eventually, six men showed up to the North Dutch Church's third floor classroom and prayed with Lamphere. The next week, 20 turned out. In early October, more than 30 businessmen prayed during their breaks. By that point, they needed a bigger room. Eventually, at its peak, 10,000 businessmen prayed for one hour every day. And Edwin Orr, the 
historian, reported, the influences of this awakening were felt everywhere in the country. It not only captured the big cities, but it also spread through every town, village, and country hamlet. It also swamped schools and colleges, and it affected classes regardless of condition. As a divine influence seemed to pervade everything in the country, the hearts of men were strangely warm, with, war, warmed by a powerful outpouring in usual, unusual ways. Lacking all fanaticism, there was an unusual unanimity of approval by religious and secular observers with scarcely a critical voice heard anywhere. The first fruits, the fruits of Pentecost were repeated 300-fold in the population of 30 million, which is the population of the United States at the time. How did it start? Prayer. Do we want to make a difference and shine forth to our community? What should we do? Pray. What should we do? We should call out upon the Lord that He might, you, he might by His mercy, do for others what He has done for us, save them. Should we see the, do we want to see the doors of hell barred shut? We should pray. Do we want to see the gates of heaven open wide? We should pray. Do we want to see scales fall from people's eyes? We should pray. Do we want to see throngs of people come to the end of themselves? We should pray. Do we want to see hope enter the lives of people who don't know what hope is? We should pray. Would we see revival in our community? We should pray. And when we pray, we shine. We shine. There is more that happens in prayer than we can see. There is more that God can do and gets done in prayer than we know. Note, Paul also says in verse 2 that the prayers we are to offer are for all people, but also for kings and all who are in authority. He says that specifically because we need to be reminded to pray for all those who are in authority over us. And this is remarkable because when Paul wrote this, the one in authority over this church in Ephesus ultimately was a man named Nero. Nero was an avowed enemy of the infant church. He delighted in inventing ways to torture and bother Christians. For example, at one evening party, in order to light up his garden, he dipped Christians alive in tar and lit them on fire to illuminate his garden. And Paul says, pray for him. Now, if Paul can direct Timothy to direct the church in Ephesus to pray for Nero, we can pray for our president, our governor, and everyone else in authority. When we pray, we shine. When we pray, we shine. Now, notice the effect. Notice the effect, in ver I'll start in verse 1, but I want you to see the effect that, begins, that he describes in verse 2. First of all, then, I urge that, all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Here's the effect of that. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. A peaceful and quiet life. Our call is to be loud when it comes to prayer to our Lord. Loud when it comes to us calling upon the Lord to move in power in the lives of our friends and relatives and co-workers who are unsaved, but yet peaceful as we interact with other people. 
peaceful as we go through our life. Quiet and dignified and godly as we walk through all that we're called to do in our daily life. In these days, Christian activism is becoming more popular on both the right and the left. And some of these impulses are good. But in, lots of people are throwing around words like advocacy, oppression, justice. Those are good words. There are good things to do. But it seems like few are calling on Christians to pray. We're directly called on by the Lord to pray here. If we're going to see change in our community, the way that that starts is when God's people pray. So what's the first step? What's the first way that we, as Christians here at Center Church, shine forth the light of the hope of Jesus Christ? We pray. We pray for all people. We pray that, that the Lord would bring all people to an understanding of, of his love. We are commissioned. We are made to shine. We are commissioned to shine and we are commanded to shine bright the love of God. We do that by praying. We also do that by personifying. Our call is to personify God's heart to all. Look at verse 3. This is good. We've already looked at it. But I want you to see, see what the heart of the Lord here in verses 3 and 4. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Notice God's heart for the lost. He desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is not universalism, that heretical teaching that wrongly says that you don't have to trust Jesus and everybody will be saved in the end and there won't be a judgment. That's horrifyingly false. But what we see here is a glimpse of the heart of God. God has a heart for those who are lost and those who who are dying. And one of the reasons that Paul draws the church's attention to this, this, this idea of personifying the heart of God toward unbelievers is that it can be very tempting just to get comfortable with the people that know you and you know. It's difficult to step outside your comfort zone. It's difficult to step outside your comfort zone and personify the love of God to people who don't know who God is. It's tempting only to pray for our needs, our wants, our desires, and forget about all the people in our lives who do not follow Jesus. If we are to shine, and we are called to shine, we must personify the heart of the Lord and have a heart for all. It's very easy to be put off by sinners that are messy, whose lives are not clean, who are difficult, who cause trouble. It's easy to be put off by them. But you know what? That's not the disposition our Lord has for sinners. How do we know? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. We saw this two weeks ago. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus did not remove himself from sinners. He pursued sinners. He got close to sinners. He saw people's mess and trouble, and hardship, and he moved toward them. He did not step back. He was not put off by their sin. The offer of the gospel, which is the news, that the only good news that gives life in this world of death, this news that any who believe in the, that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose, and ascended for them can experience eternal life. This offer is open 
for all. Any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His blood can cleanse any sinner. His sacrifice is sufficient. And God wants all to be saved. Now, will every individual on the planet be saved? No, clearly not. We have passages in the Scriptures that show us that. We see that there will be many who refuse to repent. Jesus himself wept over the city, all the citizens of Jerusalem, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37. Not just at that time, but from Jerusalem, like over centuries. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. There are people who are unwilling to be saved. But what, you need, what we need to recognize here is this. Our God is not put off by people's sin. Are we? Are you? Are you put off by people's sin? Now, it's a mystery to us that if God's desire is for all to be saved. We don't know why all aren't saved. He doesn't describe this. He doesn't tell us this mystery is not unlocked by the pages of Scripture. That's part of his secret will that one day we'll understand. But his revealed will is this. He wants all to be saved. And so we must have a heart. We must have the heart of God when it comes to unbelievers. So another way to tackle this is thinking like this. Is there a category of person who's repulsive to you? Is there a category of person that you find disgusting? If so, if so, do you think they're going to be responsive to your offer of the gospel? No. But this isn't the attitude. I want us to see this is not the attitude that the Lord shares. He sees He sees everyone steeped in their sin. He sees everyone trapped. Trapped by by all their tribulation and hardships and all their transgressions. And what does he have? Does he get angry? Is he opposed? Is he he boiling inside? What do we see? Verse 4, He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. His desire is that they would be able to avoid judgment, and hell by coming to Jesus. That's the attitude of our God. Is that your attitude toward unbelievers in your life? All of us have trouble with different categories of people, right? There's the kind of people that rub us the wrong way. Maybe somebody who's lazy or greedy or rude, selfish, Insolent, angry. Maybe people stuck in alcohol or drugs. Maybe people who are homosexual or transgender. If there's a category of person that we find disgusting or we find repulsive, we need as Christians to understand that that is not the heart of God for people. Jesus came into the world to save sinners and our call The way we shine is by praying, but also personifying that heart. Personifying God's heart to all. The way that the Lord reaches out to people in this day and age 
is through his people who have received forgiveness, who have received hope, who have received eternal life to go and tell other people about that forgiveness, hope, and eternal life. God is unfailingly compassionate and gracious to sinners. And our call is to love people far from God indiscriminately, without reserve, so that we might reflect and personify the heart of God. And as we, perfect, perfect, as we reflect and personify the heart of God, we shine. We shine. See, when they see that we're not unkind or judgmental or critical or rude, they begin to see the heart of God for them. See, what our pe- the people who are lost, what they need to see and what they need to hear is not our opinions on secondary things, but they need to meet our Jesus. All of us know that our country today is very divided. And we hear rhetoric in the public square that is not kind or gentle or understanding, but it's angry and full of venom. We, as Christians, our church and every faithful church, has an opportunity to personify the heart of God to people who know nothing of unconditional love. Our passion for the salvation of the lost must exceed the frustration we have at them and their sin. Otherwise, we will be of no good. We will not shine. We at Sinner Church welcome all who are willing to come and hear the eternal remedy for their sins. We welcome all who are interested to find out more about Jesus. We welcome sinners of every stripe and every variety. We welcome any who recognize I am not enough and I need someone else. We welcome any who are interested in finding out about this Jesus and the difference He can make in people's lives. We welcome any. And may we welcome more and more and more as we shine together. May we remember, church, that no one is a lost cause. No one is too far gone. No one has sinned too much. No one has sinned too grievously. No one is hopeless. Why? Because our Savior lives. And He still calls people to Himself. Part of what this passage is telling us to do is look up and look out away from ourselves. It's easy to say, I'm okay. I'm going to live forever with Jesus and forget other people. But we're called to shine. To shine forth the love of God in Christ. To shine forth the love of God in Christ to all. Indiscriminately, without exception. We, as a church, must shine. We're made to shine. We're commissioned to shine. We're commanded to shine. And how do we shine? We shine by praying for all. We shine also by personifying God's heart to all. And lastly, we shine by pointing to Jesus. Pointing to to Jesus. Look at verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, notice this play on words which Paul is doing here. And he's doing this very, very, very precisely. There's one God, there's one mediator, and this mediator has given himself as a ransom for all. Recognize many Many. There's the one, and then there's the all. The one, there is one God, and there is one mediator. 
That means that there is only one way to salvation that any and all who are willing can walk through and come to. In other words, there's only one way to be saved through Jesus Christ, and we're not shining if we don't point people to Jesus Christ. They don't need our advice on money matters, primarily. They don't need our advice on parenting, primarily, or our political opinions, or our thoughts on diet and exercise, or our COVID opinions, or our mask thoughts. What they need is our Jesus. What they need to hear is that there is a mediator who has made a way. There is one who has brokered a way between mankind and God. Because mankind, as we know, is sinful, and God, as we know, is holy. But look at what we have in Christ. Verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. What does a mediator do? A mediator brokers a deal. A mediator stands between two opposing parties. And in this passage, we see on one side is mankind. Sinful, treasonous, rebels, dead in trespasses and sins. On the other side, we see God. Holy, righteous, living in unapproachable light. And in the middle, we have a mediator. This mediator is Jesus Christ. God is opposed to sinful man, and sinful man is opposed to God. Jesus is the one and only mediator who can broker a deal. Why? Because he is both God and man. If Jesus were not both God and man, there would be no gospel to celebrate. There would be no hope for us today. But because he is both God and man, he is qualified to represent God to mankind because he is God, and he's also able to represent mankind to God because he's also a man. He is our only mediator. And the deal he brokered was a deal that said, I will absorb the wrath of God so that the people who trust in me, though they have nothing, though they are opposed to God, though they are sinners, can have hope. And folks, our job as a church is to shine forth this message. It's easy for churches to be preoccupied with a great many things. It's easy to let the noise and the narratives of the world at large dictate what we talk about. But those words have no life. What we have here in the Scriptures is the words of life. And what the people around us need is they need to see Jesus. They need us. They need us to be shining. They need us to be praying for them. They need us to see. They need to see us personifying God's heart. And they need us pointing them to Jesus. Because without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no place to stand. Without Jesus, there is nothing that we have. Without Jesus, we have nothing. And they will have nothing if they don't find refuge in Jesus. We are, as a church, made to shine. We're commissioned to shine and we're commanded to shine. And it's in this way, as we pray and personify and point, that we shine bright the love of Christ. Friends, think of the opportunity we have. Think of the opportunity 
to speak a word of love and acceptance in a world of hate and separation. To speak a word of hope to a world full of death. To speak of Jesus and the hope that he gives. And what qualifications does he ask for? None. Just that you be a sinner willing to repent. And you receive everything you can imagine and more. This is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. And he will not turn away anyone. Not even one. Any who come to him will be saved. Anyone. Whether you've been far from church your whole life. Whether you've been in church in and out. Whether you're in your 80s or 90s or whether you're a teenager. He will not turn any away. And our job, church, is to shine forth this truth to everyone we come in contact with. Imagine if, imagine if we get to see through the shining of our church and other churches, other faithful churches in this world, we get to see days of revival, of awakening, where Christians recognize that the gospel we have is the most precious thing we have. And they're gripped with the reality that we will not face judgment. We will only face our Lord and be like Him. And then we go out and we tell people about what the Lord has done for us. We tell people what they can find in Jesus. We tell people of all the hope and promise that Jesus holds. And we shine, 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 shine. Our world is getting progressively darker. But we aren't. We don't have to, do we? No. Why? Because our Savior lives. And we have the opportunity to shine as we pray, as we personify, and as we point. As we pray for all men and women. As we personify the heart of God even to the most unlovely, and as we point people to Jesus. Colin Hansen and John Woodbridge wrote a, wrote a book that I highly, highly recommend. It's called A God-Sized Vision, and the, the subtitle tells you what the book is about. Revival Stories That Stretch and Stir. If you, haven't, if you don't know that book, it's a great book to get and read. Um... It's just outstanding. Um, in the preface of this book, they describe the purpose of the book, and this maps on exactly to my prayer for me and for all of us as we seek to shine forth the love of God in Christ. They say, Yet we submit that many Christians have grown so content with the ordinary that they don't bother asking God for anything more. False biblical dichotomies that widen the chasm between the New Testament and us cannot justify reluctance to pray as Jesus and the apostles prayed. We who live in an era of small things must remember eras when the big things seen and heard in the Bible returned once more. May we see that in our day. This book is not for those who have grown comfortable with the Christian life. Others, however, will feel the Spirit nudging them toward something more. They will begin to see ways they have been satiated by small things and lost their taste for big things. 
they may realize that if Jesus is truly Lord, then everything changes. The time-worn routines that promise peace no longer satisfy. They will embrace a God-sized vision for his work in this world. We cannot pretend to see things perfectly from God's perspective, but we can plead with him to give us a glimpse of the world from a loftier vantage point. Few of us are tempted today to dream too big. And I would add, few of us are tempted today to pray too big. Rather, our vision shrinks to the size of our limited experience. Yet all things are possible for those who believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth. In our disbelief, we can ask God for inspiration to believe. Then, He may give us a vision of divine size. That is my prayer for me and for us. As long as our church is a church, may the Lord shine through us. May the lost find Jesus as they interact with us. May those who are far from God come near to God and find refuge in God as we shine forth the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a universal call. If you're here or you're watching at home and you're not a follower of Jesus, all you need to do is ask him to forgive your sins Trust him instead of yourself, and he will give you the gift of new life. There's no magic formula. There's no secret handshake. It's just a matter of being willing. Jesus, Jesus always opens his arms to the willing. If you're willing, go to him. And if you're not, if you don't know, talk to a Christian friend that you might have. They can tell you how to do that. Um, if you don't know any Christian friends, I can introduce you to people, or I'd, be, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. For all of us as a church, we are called to shine. And so may we pray big. May we shine. May we look to see and long to see the day when we hear testimonies and see baptisms and see the light of the glory of God shine forth from our church more and more and more. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would shine through us, God. Lord, we have nothing to offer. Our hands are empty. Our hearts are often hard. Our minds are dull. But our God is active. And so, Lord, I pray that you would rally us to be so taken with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be so taken with the light of the glory of God, that we would pray for the lost in our lives, that we would personify God's heart to the lost in our lives, that we would point all, one and all, to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would bring results. Lord, we pray for eternal results. We come to you and we pray big. We pray that you would bring revival in our day. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. We pray that you would transform our church into an outpost of heaven where we 
can see and know and feel your presence in such a powerful, palpable way. Lord, it's easy to just get, just feel like Christianity is just sort of a, a vehicle to try to have a, a problem-free life. But that's not, that's not why we are Christians. We are Christians because we have had God in Christ save us from our every sin and commissioned us now to shine forth the light of this gospel to any and all in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see days where people testify to the love of God. People who are right now angry and bitter and strung out. People who are right now not even knowing what to do. People who we know who are lost and hopeless and without help in this world. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to shine to shine as we pray, as we personify, and as we point. And I pray that you would open the eyes of the people in our community so that they might see, and we might see in our day, you bring people to you. Lord, we believe the harvest, the harvest, that the harvest is plentiful. And Lord, I pray that you would send us as workers into that harvest to see you move. Lord, help us to shine and shine more effectively. And it's in your name, Jesus. It's in your name that we have everything. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.